This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, threats of violence, including the use of firearms, and references to suicide and religious bigotry. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 244. Hey there, folks. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you and tell you what's new in my life and my writing. So let's get started with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you chapters 17 and 18 of my erotic fantasy novel, Homecoming. These two chapters are both short, so I'm rolling them together into one episode. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Kate and John's impromptu visit to a house party did not go exactly as planned. After a very enjoyable threesome with Emily, a college junior they met earlier in the evening, the afterglow was interrupted by screams of terror coming from downstairs. Kate hurried down to try to help, with John close on her heels, only to find that the party had transformed into a massive orgy. The dining room was taken over by a swirling vortex of red smoke and shadows. John identified it as a lust storm, an uncontrolled manifestation of Suspira's essence. It's the raw hunger and desire of the goddess, acting on pure instinct, and it's driving the party guests mad with lust. Two latecomers to the party came into the house, saw the orgy and the lust storm, and then fled in terror. John and Kate quickly sort out what must have happened. During their encounter with Emily, they sent a fair amount of essence radiating in all directions, some of which seeped through to the people on the dance floor below them. Once the guests started having sex, it released enough energy for Chase's side to finish manifesting, and then supercharged it with enough power that Chase lost control of it. The lust storm can be absorbed by another Daedra, but John doesn't know how to do it, and if he fails, it will likely rip out his own essence, killing him in the process. But Kate has no such limitations, and unlike John, she actually has stolen a bunch of essence before. She walks into the midst of the vortex, and after a few heart-pounding minutes, she draws the entire lust storm into herself. The extra essence furthers her own infernal transformation, giving her bat-like wings and increasing the size of her horns, breasts, and phallus to truly epic proportions. Kate has become nearly an embodiment of the goddess herself, and with that much of Suspira inside her, Kate has a hard time focusing on the tasks at hand. With the lust storm gone, John can see the people who were trapped at the heart of the vortex. Chase and Janet Vickers, locked in the throes of mindless passion. 
Now their maddened lust begins to fade, and Chase slowly comes back to awareness. But Janet collapses, going into shock from the loss of life mana. Kate pulls herself together and channels some stored life mana back into Janet, saving her life. But with both Chase and Kate now looking decidedly demonic, our heroes need to make their escape before anyone else comes to their senses. Kate runs upstairs to retrieve Emily and their clothes, while John tries to get Chase moving. The young man is confused and traumatized. He tells John that he made a promise to Eli not to have sex until marriage, and now the god has cursed him to be a demon for breaking his promise. John assures Chase that none of this is his fault, and he promises he will explain what's really going on, but right now, they have to get out of here. They meet up with Kate and Emily in the foyer, then head outside, only to find that Chase is too weak and woozy to drive, and Kate's wings are too big for her to fit in John's skimmer. Emily puts Kate in the back of her pickup truck, and John takes Chase with him. They need to get somewhere safe to figure out their next move, and right now, there's only one place they can go. The home of Kate's parents, Sam and Lisa Katane. Homecoming, A Tale of Metamore City, written and read by Chris Lester. Chapter 17 They made the drive back to the Catane's house as quickly as they could without risking the attention of law enforcement. Several police ground cars and one ambulance passed them in the opposite direction, Sirens off, but lights flashing. John estimated they had gotten away from the house with maybe two minutes to spare, which was frankly more than he'd expected. He wondered if the people who had run screaming from the party had dithered for a while before calling emergency services, or if the local dispatchers weren't sure how to respond to reports of a magical vortex surrounded by an orgy. Whatever the reason, their luck held all the way to Sam and Lisa's place. John was about to pull into the driveway, but then he remembered Miko's barking fit the last time. He drove past the house, around the next corner, and parked on the side of the street. Emily pulled into the space behind him. John got out first and went to check on Kate. The back of Emily's truck had a hard plastic bed liner and an emergency kit, but no other amenities. Kate had pulled out the reflective emergency blanket and tucked it roughly around her waist and torso, but her wings were too large for her to wrap it around herself completely. Awkwardly, she rolled onto her hands and knees and crawled toward the tailgate. Along the way, she banged one of her wing joints on the roof, analogous to the elbow on a human arm, which caused her to grit her teeth and hiss. The pain must have disrupted her hold on the illusion spells, too, because her dress uniform vanished instantly, and her skin and eyes returned to their succubus coloration. Kate either didn't notice, or didn't care enough to fix it, since she had just done the equivalent of striking her funny bone. "'Stupid fucking wings,' she grunted. "'Now you know why I don't use them,' John said. He offered her a hand climbing out of the truck, which she gratefully accepted. Emily, meanwhile, had gone to the passenger side of John's skimmer, 
where she was helping Chase out of his seat. His legs trembled with every step, and it seemed like he was barely keeping his eyes open. Kate watched him with an expression that vacillated between guilt and concern. "'Poor kid,' she said softly. "'This is all my fault. If I hadn't been so eager to get in Emily's pants, I wouldn't have set off that damned orgy.' John slid inside Kate's wingspan and put an arm around her waist. "'There's enough blame to go around.' he said, matching her tone. Remember, you can't make anyone do something against their nature. Kate looked askance at him. That's dangerously close to blaming the victim, John. Emily consented to our magic. Nobody else did. She looked back at Chase. And Chase didn't ask to get transformed. That was going to happen anyway, John said. Maybe in a week or a month or longer, but it still would have happened. At least this way we're here to help him. Kate snorted. Yeah, we've been really helpful so far, haven't we? Night's not over yet, John said. What's the best way to get into your parents' house without Miko barking? He's probably asleep upstairs by now, Kate said. I think you were right about going in the back. Less chance of waking anybody that way. She gestured vaguely to a spot beyond the house in front of them. There's a neighbor behind us who doesn't have a fence. I used to sneak out that way when I was a kid. Sounds like a plan, John said. They rejoined Emily and Chase and quickly explained the plan. Chase seemed only half aware of his surroundings. He didn't even react to Kate's more overtly demonic appearance. But Emily listened attentively and nodded her assent. John retrieved Kate's purse from the skimmer, with the house key inside. He slung the strap across his chest and shifted the bag toward his back, where it would be out of the way. They all followed Kate down the block to the next side street, the one that ran behind the Catane's house. Kate directed them to a small brown wooden two-story with a detached garage. A narrow path of paving stones ran between the garage and the next house over, and they followed this to the back of the lot, where a two-meter chain-link fence stood between them and Sam and Lisa's yard. The house was dark, and the streetlights provided the same spotty illumination of the yard that John had noticed last night. Here at the back of the yard, the neighbor's garage provided a patch of deep shadow, which should give them plenty of cover. Kate went first, clambering swiftly up the fence with practiced ease. She spread her wings at the top and jumped down, landing softly in the grass. At John's direction, Emily went next. She did not try to jump, but she was quick and nimble, and had no trouble flipping herself around and descending on the other side. Chase couldn't really climb in his current state, so John used his superhuman strength to lift him to the top, and Kate, who was still supercharged from absorbing the lust storm, gently lowered him back down to earth. John followed a moment later. They all paused for a moment, watching the house and listening, but they saw no sign that their passage had been noted. Kate picked a path to the back door, keeping to the shadows of trees and bushes, and John and the others followed her. When they were about two meters from the door, John handed the purse to Kate. She opened the bag and started rummaging through it, looking for the key. She must have picked up John's dark vision, along with all the other changes, because she didn't even use the light on her phone to help her search. 
It took her maybe half a minute, but she eventually fished out the key, making a small sound of triumph. Okay, she whispered, turning to the others. I'll go in first and deal with the alarm. Then we're going straight through the kitchen to the foyer, then up the stairs and down the hall to the left. No talking once we're inside. I don't want to wake up Mom and Dad. Got it, Emily said. John and Chase just nodded. Kate crept up to the back door, slid in the key, and turned it slowly and carefully until the deadbolt drew back. She turned the doorknob with equal care and pulled it open with near-perfect silence. The control panel on the wall let out a soft warning chirrup, and a green light began to flash. Kate opened the panel and entered the disarm code on the keypad, and the light went steady again. She held the door open with one hand, beckoned with the other. John and the others quickly followed her inside, shut and locked the door. They stopped, listened, heard nothing. Kate led them onward. They had passed through the kitchen and were just entering the narrow corridor to the foyer when a huge, furry shape appeared ahead of them, pale gray in John's dark vision. The eyes gleamed with faintly reflected light from the street lamps outside. Miko planted his body squarely across the corridor, lowered his head, and stared at them. Kate stopped short immediately. Hey, Miko. She kept her voice soft and high-pitched. Hey, sweet boy, it's me. Miko's lips curled back in a silent snarl. The fur on his back and shoulders stood erect. His tail raised to half-mast and waved slowly back and forth. Not a wag, but a warning. Miko, come on, Kate said. Her voice was shaking now as she stared down about seventy kilos of canine aggression from less than a meter away. It's me, sweetie. You know me. Kate, John said urgently. He can't recognize you. Your shape is wrong, you smell wrong, and you're in his territory uninvited. Kate froze. Fuck, she whispered. Bad plan, bad plan. Back away, John murmured. Slowly. We'll go back out, use the doorbell, wake up your parents. It's the only way. Kate swallowed hard. Yeah. Yeah, okay. She took a slow step back, keeping her eyes fixed on Miko the entire time. Then a light came on somewhere behind them, probably the dining room, and John heard the unmistakable sound of a pump-action shotgun loading a shell into the chamber. Oh shit, Chase yelped. His voice had gone an octave higher than usual. Nobody move. Lisa Catane's voice was loud, clear, and icily calm. Nobody moved. A long, deathly silence hung in the air. At last, Lisa spoke again. I don't know who you are, but you picked the wrong house. Her voice was cold and taut with anger. Now, slowly, raise your hands and come out where I can see you. And if I see a gun, a spell, or anything else in your hands, I will paint your brains all over that wall. Shit, Kate hissed. Shit, shit, shit. Shut up, Lisa snapped. Kate shut up. The police are on their way, Lisa said. 
If you want to live, I suggest you do exactly what I tell you. Now get your asses out here. John looked over his shoulder at Chase and Emily. Go, he whispered. The two young people were both wide-eyed and shaking, but they slowly raised their hands, turned around, and walked back out into the kitchen. Good. Over there, please. Lisa must have gestured with the barrel of the gun, because Chase and Emily both slid out of view to the left, over in the direction of the kitchen sink. Next, Lisa ordered. Raising his hands, John turned around and stepped out of the corridor. Lisa stood in the doorway between the dining room and the kitchen. She had angled her position so that she could shoot anyone coming out of the corridor and still keep Miko out of the crossfire. Her hands were steady as the gun tracked his motion, and she had her eye sighted down the crosshairs. Lisa, John said, bowing his head slightly in deference. I apologize. We were trying not to wake you. It took a second for John's face and voice to register in her memory. Then Lisa's eyes went wide. She moved her finger to the trigger guard and lowered the nose of the gun. Shit, she said feelingly. Miko, blots! John glanced over at the dog. At once, Miko lay down in the hallway, his face smoothing to a look of calm attention. He kept his eyes on Lisa, waiting for further instructions. John, I'm so sorry, Lisa said. What happened? Where's Kate? I'm... here. Slowly, Kate stepped out of the shadows, her hands above her head. Her wings and tail were limp and still behind her, and her head hung low, staring at the floor. The dark reddish skin of her cheeks had flushed an even darker red in humiliation. Lisa's own face flushed scarlet as she took in Kate's naked, succubus body. "'By the prophet,' she whispered. "'Katie?' Kate's amber eyes flickered up to meet her mother's, then back down again. "'Hi, Mom.'" Chapter 18 It took a while to get everything sorted out. Chase was nearly falling over from exhaustion, so John and Emily escorted him up to the guest room, where he promptly fell into a deep sleep. Emily stayed to keep an eye on him, and soon ended up curling up behind him, her arm wrapped around his waist. The cops arrived soon thereafter, and Lisa went outside to talk to them. John didn't know what she said to them, but she must have persuaded them that it had all been a misunderstanding— because they left a few minutes later without inspecting the house or the grounds. Kate sat on the couch through it all, huddled under a couple of fuzzy blankets that did nothing to hide the huge, leathery wings on her back. Her face held an expression of quiet dread, like a kid waiting for a scolding at the principal's office. Miko came up to her once, sniffed at her warily, then lay down at the far end of the room, watching her with his head between his paws. John made a pot of herbal tea and brought her a cup, which she accepted with a quiet, Thanks. After dismissing the cops, rearming the security system, and securing the gun upstairs, Lisa came back and joined them in the living room, taking the recliner where Sam had sat the night before. Miko immediately came over and lay at her feet. She accepted a cup of the tea from John, 
took a long sip, then took a slow breath in and out. All right, she said. Let's start with the obvious. John, you're an incubus. John and Kate exchanged an astonished look. How is that the obvious? Kate asked. Because I do my research, honey. She kept her eyes on John while she spoke, ticking off items on her fingers. Clue number one. John H. No legal last name, which means you were excoriated from a noble family. Number two. You work for the Church of Hedonism, where you've often been seen with Mysteria Halloway, who looks enough like you to be your sister. Number three. There aren't too many reasons why a person would get thrown out of a noble family these days, but Count Halloway is both a prude and a bigot, and his wife having an incubus child would push both of those buttons. Number four. You have a case file with the Lothanasi, but it's sealed. That means they're treating you as an imperial citizen, rather than a resident outsider. That's consistent with an earthborn Daedra who's behaving himself. And according to my contacts in MCPD, you've had no other encounters with law enforcement. Her lips curved into a wry smile. Not officially, anyway. I won't presume to guess what you and Kate might have done with her handcuffs. Kate flinched as if she'd been struck. Ugh, gods, Mom. Sorry, dear, Lisa said, in a tone that didn't sound remotely sorry. Do I have all that right, John? John bowed his head to her. Excellent detective work, ma'am. Excellent stalking, you mean, Kate muttered. Please don't take it personally, either of you, Lisa said. If anyone gets close to my family, I'm going to make it my business to know about them. Something hard and fierce glinted in her eyes. I'm not taking chances anymore. Not with the Brotherhood of the Sepulchre out there. That got Kate's attention. She sat up a little straighter in her seat. Captain Montgomery finally told you the truth? He did, Lisa agreed. After the Brotherhood was exposed, Joe was afraid they might make good on their threat to kill us. Hence the gun. I wondered about that, Kate said. Does Dad know? He does. Lisa's expression had turned grave, her eyes distant. But this is all strictly theoretical for Sam. He's... well, he believes that people are basically good. A flash of old pain ran across her face, there and then gone. He's never had reason to think otherwise. They all sat and thought about that for a moment, drinking their tea in silence. So, John said at last, do you mind if I ask sort of an awkward question? Lisa snorted a laugh. At this point, I don't think this evening could get much more awkward. Well, you say that, Kate murmured. John ignored her. You called Count Halloway a bigot because of his views on Daedra. Does that mean you're really okay with Kate dating an incubus? Or are you putting up with me because it's polite? Kate raised a hand, and a stubborn note crept into her voice. For the record, my parents do not get a veto on my choice of partners. Agreed, John said mildly. He kept his eyes on Lisa. But if my being here is going to make things uncomfortable for you, I'd rather know about it up front. 
Lisa raised her cup of tea to him in a salute. Honesty and directness. I appreciate that. Thank you, John said. I wish I could say it's how I was raised. A knowing look filled Lisa's eyes, amusement touched with a distant sadness. You haven't had a lot of people accept you for who you are, have you, John? John tried to ignore the stab of pain that ran through him. Not really, ma'am. Lisa acknowledged this with a slow nod. I was the black sheep of my family, too. Too progressive, too open, too loud, too wild. Kate scoffed. Wild? You? Lisa chuckled. Oh, honey, you didn't know me when I was in my twenties. You really didn't fall that far from the tree. I believe it, John said. The point is, Lisa said, I know what it's like to have to walk away. To lose your family to save yourself. Kate cocked her head. Is that why we never visited your hometown? I thought you just didn't have any family left. Lisa gave her daughter a tolerant smile. There was a hard-won piece behind that expression, and it bore the scars to prove it. Some bridges cost too much to mend, Katie dear. I wasn't going to let those people get their hooks into my family. Into you. Kate lowered her eyes and took a drink of her tea, saying nothing. John wondered if she appreciated what Lisa was saying, and how much she wasn't saying, the ugliness that lay behind the words. But that's part of why she did it, he thought. So you don't have to know. Lisa turned back to John. So, no, John. I don't have a problem with your heritage. Or your diet, for that matter. All I care about is if you're a good man, and if you love Kate, and if you treat her with respect. I trust her to choose wisely on that front. So far, I haven't been disappointed. She glanced over at Kate and cocked an eyebrow. Granted, there seemed to be some complications I wasn't expecting. John laughed despite himself. Neither were we. Yeah, Kate sighed. Something happened to me last night, while John and I were... together. I absorbed a piece of his essence somehow. It changed me. I still don't understand how it happened. She looked up at her wings. And then I soaked up more essence tonight, after Chase lost control of it. And that changed me more. Lisa nodded thoughtfully. Jacob had the same talent. Kate's eyes went wide. He did? Lisa's expression became distant again. Your father was a descendant of St. Marai. Some of them have inherited her gift for absorbing and controlling divine essence. Jacob was one of them. Huh, Kate murmured. I knew his mom was a starson. I figured I had gotten it from that side of the family, but I didn't know he actually had the gift. It isn't common, even among the Starsons, Lisa agreed. Jacob said the first time it happened, it terrified him. It made him feel... invaded. Like there was someone else fighting him for control of his own body. Yeah, Kate whispered. That's one reason he became a police officer instead of a lightbringer, Lisa said. They would have expected him to use his gift in the line of duty. 
I guess when you're fighting outsiders, it's useful to be able to steal their power. She took a long drink from her tea, her expression going pensive. I think he was afraid that if he did it too often, he'd start to forget who he was. I believe it, Kate said, feelingly. Do you think, if I called the Lightbringers, could they help me control this? Could they teach me how to change back? John raised a hand. Before we call the Lightbringers, I think we should figure out what we're going to do about Chase. Right now, he's not in control of his powers, and an out-of-control incubus is not something the Lothanasi respond well to. Not generally, no, Lisa agreed with a sigh. Poor kid. How's he taking it? He's a suicide risk, John said bluntly. Lisa winced, closed her eyes, and nodded. Kate looked considerably more surprised. Seriously? What did he say to you? A bunch of self-loathing rebuilder propaganda, John said. The more he thought about it, the angrier it made him, and here he let the acid seep into his voice. He thinks Eli damned him for having sex with that girl. With Emily? Lisa asked. No, different girl. John said. He loves Emily, for sure, but something's keeping him from acting on it. I still haven't untangled that one. John H., relationship detective, Kate said, with a hint of a smile. She turned to her mother. How much do you know about Chase's parents? Lisa looked down at her tea, considering the question. They're friendly enough, but I wouldn't say I know them that well. Margaret's the sort who can talk to you for an hour, make you feel heard and appreciated, and at the end of it, you realize she hasn't told you one thing of substance about herself. Brandon is a bit like Sam. Quiet, gentle, sort of shy. He tends to fade back and let his wife carry the conversation. A slight frown creased her brow. They are rebuilders, but I never got the impression that they were extremists about it. They're always nice to people. Plenty of people seem nice until something threatens their core beliefs, John said darkly. Nice doesn't mean their religion isn't toxic. True, but just because a church has problems, that doesn't mean there aren't good people in it. She looked right at John when she said this, her eyebrows slightly raised. John inclined his head to her, conceding the point. Lisa hadn't prejudged him because of his faith— and hedonism was not without its problems. Mistress Jasmine was hardly the only manipulative predator in the church, and judging from some of the rumors he'd heard, she was far from the worst. Somebody needs to feel them out, Kate said. We need to know if they'll support Chase, or if he needs to be protected from them. We don't have the right to do that, John said firmly. It's Chase's secret. It's his call. I'm not saying we tell them about Chase, Kate said, but if we could find out how they feel about outsiders more generally, that might tell us something useful. Or it might not, John countered. A lot of people think they're totally unprejudiced until the question involves their family. And sometimes it goes the other way, Lisa pointed out. A personal connection can make someone question their own long-held bigotry. John put up a hand, acknowledging this. We're in uncharted waters here. Let's talk to Chase and Emily tomorrow morning and see where that goes. He paused, then added, Which brings up another point. 
Lisa, is there another bedroom where Emily can sleep? Lisa seemed surprised by the question. Well, we could put down an air mattress in my office, but it seemed like she wanted to stay with Chase. I'm sure she does, John said, but at some point she might have to get behind a ward. You and Sam, too. Both women stared blankly at him for a long moment. Kate made the connection first. Oh, shit. Honey? Lisa asked. Kate looked down at her hands, fidgeting. I'm not completely in control of this essence I'm holding. It leaks out. It influences the people around me. And Chase seems to have even less control. We've got two incubi and one succubus under one roof, John said, his eyes fixed on Lisa. Right now we're all pretty well fed, but that's not going to last forever. We're going to get hungry. We're going to need to feed. Emily's got a lot of energy and plenty of enthusiasm, but if we take too much from her, she could get hurt. Lisa's olive skin flushed a redder shade at this, and John knew he didn't have to spell out the other half of the problem. That the only other energy sources in the house would be Sam and Lisa. Any possible configuration of partners in that scenario would cause serious problems for one or more of the participants. John, maybe we should go get a hotel room, Kate said. No. Cameras aside, that's the opposite problem. Too many people. It would be the house party all over again. And I need to be here to keep an eye on Chase. Lisa rose decisively to her feet. We'll go get a hotel room, she said, setting her tea aside. And then you can, uh, spread out, however you need to. For the first time that evening, she seemed flustered. And you have permission to invite people over for, um, for dinner, Kate said, grinning. If possible, Lisa blushed even harder. I guess I deserved that one. You really did, Kate agreed cheerfully. Then, in a more serious tone, Is Dad going to be okay with this? All of this? Lisa sighed and waggled her hand in a so-so gesture. I told him what I found out about John. He's been trying not to think about it. He does like you, John. He's just a bit awkward where sex is concerned. There was a lot of shame around it in his family and he never moved to the big city like I did. She gave Kate an assessing gaze, taking in the wings, the heavy bosom, and the suspicious lump in the blanket that lay in the vicinity of Kate's crotch. I think maybe I'll limit him to the broad strokes for now. I like this plan, Kate said. She got off the couch, wrapped the blanket around her waist, and came over to kiss Lisa's cheek. Thanks, Mom. For everything. Lisa kissed Kate's cheek in return. You're worth it, honey. Give us a call when it's safe to come over for breakfast. And that's the end of Chapter 18. Come back next time, when Kate and John get some one-on-one -on -one time again, and John has a surprise for Kate. Hey folks, Chris here. I'm recording this outro at the same time as my outro for Episode 243, so I don't have a new writing report this week. Come back next time and I'll tell you how things have been going. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, 
Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.